Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 166. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Michaud. Locked and loaded. We are back, of course, once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. So that means some game impressions, that means some news, and then we have this week's big topic, which, you know, we're a little bit late because this was revealed last week. Reggie fils of Nintendo is retiring, so that's going to be what our big topic is all about. And you can blame my beard. Ah, I see. Not for Reggie retiring, but for being late. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyhow, before we get to that, let's kick things off with some news. And this news, to be honest, is pretty darn huge in its own right. There was a Pokemon Direct just the other day, and we have now seen the reveal of true 8th generation Pokemon on Switch. Yes, that's right. Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield are coming our way. Holy smokes, it's all new Pokemon for a home console. Yes, yes it is. I mean, we knew this was coming, but now we have finally seen it with our own eyes. A full-fledged mainline Pokemon game, like you're saying, developed for a console quality system, and it's supposed to be coming late this year. And Pete, I don't know about you, but... You know, I was pretty impressed with what they have shown. I thought this game looks gorgeous. I mean, maybe it's not that far advanced when you compare it to something like Sun and Moon, but because it's on hardware like Switch, it's so much sharper. It has such better resolution, so many more opportunities for great details. I am suitably impressed from what they have shown so far. Yeah, totally. I mean, it almost reminded me of something like uh, Dragon Warrior meets Pokemon. Oh, what makes you say that? Well, I, I guess I mean that like they've established now that it kind of looks like the English countryside and there's this, you know, you can actually tell there's some like depth yeah. with like the forests they show and some of the different areas mm-hmm. and even just like geography being different. I know that sounds funny, but like, no, no, it's a very good point in Pokemon up to this point. There really hasn't been a lot of like, oh, you're going up a hill now. Well, they have had some stuff like that in past games. Sun and Moon had great architecture, too, but you're totally right. Adding in a new region, I think, once again, really makes the game fresh. You know, they did that before with the Alola region, and once again, you know, that's kind of what we're getting this time. And yeah, like you said, it is in the England-inspired Galar region, and so, you know, we've got these countryside towns, we have foggy forests and gorgeous lakes and this big steampunk-like London-type city, some vast plains, snowy mountains, gem-filled caves, and maybe even a soccer stadium that you're playing Pokemon in? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that would make sense. You're in England. Yes, indeed. Also, there is this big wall to the north and what looks like a large industrial city near that. And then beyond the wall, just some crazy-looking metropolis, like, you know, super futuristic-like. Yeah, who knows? Or maybe that's where the White Walkers live, north of the wall. Yeah, actually, between that and the fact that the logo has that wolf head on it, I'm like, boy, have these guys been watching a lot of Game of Thrones or what? You know, I'm kind of expecting that, uh, you know, Professor Eugalyptus or whatever the new professor is named is going to be decapitated by the end of the first act. So. Hey, we'll spoilers. <laughs> be prepared for that M-rated Pokemon. <laughs> No, that is not going to happen. Um, There also seemed to be a noted increase in sweaters and plaid as far as the attire goes. But one thing that is sort of a step backwards is it looks like the random encounters from most classic Pokemon games are indeed returning. There are no signs of Pokemon on the field like there were in the Pokemon Let's Go games. Yeah, that's true. Although I will say, you know, the other thing that I really noticed in this gameplay footage that struck me as odd was that 
you really see no NPCs. Hmm. And so I wonder if they're doing something like they're trying to like kind of hide some of that because I mean that's my only gripe about this so far is that like when you look you don't see a single other character on the screen. So uh, I do wonder if they're maybe holding something back. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and I think you're right. I think they just aren't showing it yet. I fully expect this to be a fully populated, very lively environment, but that's right. It really didn't seem that way from the trailers. But I think in the final game, we will be seeing those environments chock full of people in a lot of cases. Certainly the cities will be. I would be willing to bet. I might even bet my beard on it. I'd bet your beard on it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, I just hope that maybe being able to avoid random encounters is a possibility, but we'll see. I guess we will. But... It wouldn't surprise me if they do have random encounters once again. I mean, that's what Pokemon has been like for most of the past 20 years, and it would not shock me at all if they're going back to that. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) But yeah, speaking of the Pokemon, they did show plenty of those. We know that favorites like Pikachu and Minchino, Grubbin, Hoot Hoot, (laughs) Grovile, Tyranitar, Lucario are in there. There are even more than that. Some of them were only shown for like a split second. But yeah, lots of the favorites are indeed returning. And then, of course, there are going to be plenty of all new Pokemon, not the least of which are the three new starters. Yeah. Are you uh, leaning towards a particular one, Chris? Well, I mean, I suppose I am, but let's go down the list first. So, first of all, we have Scorbunny, who is the white fire-type rabbit Pokemon, who sort of seems to have a bandage on its nose. (laughs) Then we've got Sobble, the blue water-type lizard Pokemon, who seems to look very concerned and has a sort of interesting-looking curled tail that I kind of (laughs) like. And then we have Grookey, the green grass-type monkey Pokemon. Or a Poke Monkey, you might want to say. <laughs> and it's sort of got a stick sort of poking out of its leafy hairdo. It's uh, kind of a bit of an interesting design on him. And I can't say that any of those three, you know, really captivate me. So in a situation like that, when I don't really just fall in love with one of the designs, I sort of just default to the fire type. So I will probably be starting with Score Bunny. But uh, I don't know. I mean, there are characteristics of the other two I like as well. So we'll see. Hmm. What about you? Uh, yeah, I've always been a, uh, a water Pokemon man as my starter. So I think we're going to go with Sobble, even though he looks like sort of a miserable, uh, you know. <laughs> yes, he does. Depressed little Pokemon. <laughs> I have a, a hunch that his evolved form is going to look awesome. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's what that tail makes me think, is that it's going to turn into some really cool-looking chameleon-like creature. So that might be the thing that makes me change my mind. So we'll see. We shall see. There's nothing wrong with Grookey, though. I mean, he's also a solid choice, I think. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, he seems okay as well. I just don't like Pokemon that wave at me. (laughs) But, yeah, everything they showed in that little preview video seems really impressive to me. This is kind of more or less exactly what I want out of a new Pokemon game, and they are promising that it is going to be, quote, the greatest Pokemon experience yet. Wow, that's big words. (laughs) Yes, it is. That's a lot to live up to. But, I mean, really, in my opinion, every generation, generally speaking, just kind of gets better and better and better and better. So I'd say there's a fairly good chance of them living up to that promise. Yeah, it's true. And I think, you know, coming off the Sun and Moon releases, I think that there's a good chance it will be. Yes, indeed. And, you know, one of the things I was worried about was looking at the Pokemon Go games and seeing how they looked just kind of stiff or maybe you know, rigid in their design philosophies. And I was like, man, I hope that's not what the next one is like. But no, that does not seem to be the case. They seem to be just picking up where they left off with Sun and Moon and taking that to the next level. And in my opinion, that is great. 
I'm just ready to get my hands on this thing. Yeah. And they haven't said exactly when it's coming out, but my hunches will probably be a holiday release. We can probably expect it in November or December. Yeah, totally. And you can imagine the way that Pokemon Go kind of grabbed everyone's attention. I feel like Pokemon kind of is in a fever pitch right now, and this game doesn't seem to be showing any signs of that slowing down. Indeed, that is very, very true. And in fact, you know, speaking of you know, Pokemania running wild, <laughs> you know, we also recently got to see a new trailer for Detective Pikachu, the movie. That film is hitting on May 11th. Did you check out that new trailer? <laughs> Damn it, I didn't. I wanted to. Yeah. Well, you should definitely take a look. I mean, I kind of hate to say it, but, you know, I kind of really want to go see this movie. Yeah. And I thought the trailer just did a really, really good job of showing everything off. Yeah, it looks fun. It looks fun. Yeah, I saw a little, a few little moments from it, like Mewtwo popping out and all that. I am trying to stay away from it. At this point, I know I want to see it, and I kind of want to be surprised by the characters that are in it. Uh, okay. Well, having played through the entire Detective Pikachu game myself, I kind of know what to expect, so I'm not too worried about that. If anything, I'm kind of expecting them to announce a sequel, because you know the way that some of the stuff goes down in Detective Pikachu, it feels like there should be one. And you know, is the movie going to end the same way? I don't know. I'm curious, but uh, I'm definitely up for more Detective Pikachu on the Nintendo Switch. Are That'd you, be pretty cool. Are you spoiling more things, Chris? Nope. No spoilers here. I bid you good day, sir. But uh, I said good day! <laughs> so do you think you're going to see that in the theater? Yes. For me, this is absolutely... I don't know if I'll see it night one, but I definitely plan on seeing it while it's in the theater. I hate to admit it, but I probably will as well. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I don't think I would see any other type of Pokemon movie, but this one just looks like it's got some real like comedic value. I kind of like that they're being a little bit loose with the franchise. You know, Ryan Reynolds is kind of doing his Deadpool thing for Pikachu, which is so That's right. Pikachu says hell in the trailer. Which is so bizarre, but it's totally working and it's got a lot of people excited about it and I for one am excited for this movie. Yes, there are many things to be excited about if you are a Pokemon fan in 2019. Better start catching them all. Indeed. Moving along to some other games that we have to look forward to, Capcom has dropped some news on us recently. They revealed that Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney Trilogy is coming to Switch in North America on April 9th, and it's going to be selling for $29.99. That's got to get your whiskers tingling. Well, you might think so, since I'm a huge Ace Attorney fan, but really not so much because the game is already out in Japan. It has a physical release over there, and I've already picked it up and I've already started playing. So, you know, I'm not terribly excited about uh, playing <laughs> the exact same game on April 9th. The Japanese release is in full English, and, you know, I'm not going to give my impressions on it now. I think I'll save that for when it does hit North America. But, I mean, the thing to know is, yes, this is Ace Attorney. It is the same old Ace Attorney. It is stuff that fans are already familiar with. That's kind of the long and the short of it. I'm just not sure why they're making North American audiences wait another month and a half. All right. Is it uh, worth a purchase if I'm on the fence? Well, I mean, have you ever played an Ace Attorney game before? If you have not played Ace Attorney and Switch is your system of choice then I would say totally. If you have played it before, your mileage may vary. All right. Duly noted. Okay. And then, beyond that, just in the following month, Capcom has also stated that Resident Evil 1, 4, and 0 
are all coming out on May 21st in the eShop. And they are also $29.99 each. But that raises the question, where is Resident Evil 2 and 3? Well, that is a good point. I guess because they're on systems older than the GameCube, they aren't quite as easy to port right over. I mean, personally, I think it would be great if the Switch got that Resident Evil 2 remake that's already out on other consoles. That would make perfect sense to me. You know, hopefully that'll happen down the road. Yeah, I think it's really a missed opportunity they haven't done that already. Yeah, hopefully uh, Panic Button or somebody gets involved. Yeah, that would be great if uh, something like that were to happen. But really, my concern right now with these titles is not that two of them are missing. My concern is that we have three Resident Evil titles all coming out on the same day, and all at 30 bucks a piece. And that kind of seems crazy to me. I mean, <laughs> if it were me... I would want to stagger these releases because you're asking people to sort of, you know, drop a whole bunch of money all at once. First of all, they feel a little bit overpriced to me. And second, I just feel like they would sell better if it's like, okay, here's one game this month. Here's another game the next month. And then here's another one after that. I mean, everyone is probably going to go for one and four right away. And Zero is just going to sit there because it's definitely the least attractive of the group. (laughs) You're right. I think if Zero came out first, there'd be way more people interested in it. Yeah, or even if it was just, you know, a staggered release, it's like, okay, here's more Resident Evil that you know and love. But, you know, unless you're made of money, you might just be like, okay, I'm all going to get one, I'm all going to get four, or maybe I'll get them both, but I'll hold out for now. Yeah, it's just, it seems like a strange choice to me. Also, it seems kind of unfortunate that they are not getting physical releases as far as we can tell. Yeah, that is a shame. And I'm not sure about Japan. I mean, it seems like almost everything that Capcom does for Switch does get a physical release in Japan. And really, the cost of importing is you know kind of negligible compared to just buying it out of the eShop. So if you are a physical fan, that does seem like a good option most of the time. But again, in this case, I'm not even sure if that's a possibility. I do have to agree with you. At this point, if this stands, I mean, I probably will only pick up Resident Evil 4. That's my guess. Yeah, that's completely understandable. But the plus side is, you know, we've got a bunch of great games coming our way. Resident Evil 1, that remake, was fantastic. Resident Evil 4 is an all-time classic as well. And, you know, Zero, while it's not as good as the other two, it was certainly not a bad choice either. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be great to have all these games, but, you know, the sad thing is it's like, oh, well, they're all coming right at once. I mean, between that and getting, like, what is it, like 95 Final Fantasy games in April, it's just, you know, ridiculous how much, you know, good stuff is coming. A lot of it being ports, but just ridiculous nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, I've seen the price of uh, Resident Evil Revelations on eShop drop substantially, so I have a feeling this will happen to this, too. Yeah, I suppose that is a good point. So even if you do skip getting, you know, one or two of these right at launch, you'll still have ample opportunity down the road. I mean, that's the thing about being digital, I guess. They're never going to sell out. It's true. Moving along to another title that is not a port, is not from an established franchise, but it does come from a reputable developer. That is Mextermination Force for Switch. This is the newest game from Horberg Productions, the maker of Gunman Clive. Yeah, and I gotta admit, you uh, pointed me to this trailer, and I'm impressed. Yeah, well, I have to thank my friends who pointed me towards it as well, because this game looks really impressive. It's basically like Contra, but just boss fights, just these crazy-looking pattern-heavy boss fights fighting these giant robots where you get to climb the robots and destroy various parts of them and you know use a wide array of weapons you have like a spread gun and a wave gun and a big sword for like hitting him right in the weak spot and it also has two-player co-op so it doesn't have the run and gun levels of contra as far as i can tell it's just kind of like one big crazy boss rush mode 
<laughs> yeah, and it's funny you mentioned Contra. I kind of get little elements of Mega Man in there too. I mean, I know Mega Man doesn't fight a lot of giant robots, but it's kind of got that same aesthetic, I think. Well, it's certainly, you know, very colorful, a lot like Mega Man. And I guess from an aesthetic perspective, I can kind of see where it's coming from. It kind of reminds me of some of the older Mega Man X games in a few ways, you know, if the enemies were like 20 times bigger than they actually were. <laughs> right. Anyway, I really do enjoy this kind of game. It's supposed to be coming out this spring, and I am definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, and it looks like, from what I see on Twitter, is that uh, if you own Gunman Clive HD Collection on Switch, you can actually play as that cowboy in this game. Yeah, I've heard that as well, so that's definitely a cool extra bonus. Mm-hmm. That takes care of this week's news, so I think it's time to discuss some game impressions. Now, I haven't played anything brand spanking new, but I am catching up a little bit, and I have finally had a chance to play Yokai Watch 3 on the Nintendo 3DS. Ah, nice. How's that going? Well, I've put about eight hours into the game so far, and of course, this is the latest in the series of wacky, cartoony, gotta catch em all RPGs by level 5. And yes, this one is definitely wacky, just like the previous installments. Like, I mean, right from the get-go, characters are sort of breaking out in song as they're introduced. <laughs> There's a character you encountered called the Poofessor, who carries a poop on a stick. Uh, it's just full of all kinds of goofy situations and parodies that might even go over a lot of the users' heads. Like, it introduces these special agents, Folly and Blunder, who are trying to solve the Y-Files. <laughs> like, how much of the target audience has ever even seen the X-Files? Probably <laughs> none of them. But uh, nonetheless, this stuff is in there. Hey, you are part of the target audience. I have a feeling they're aiming for younger users than I am. <laughs> Just a hunch. Probably. And then, of course, the other big ridiculous thing about this game is that it is now partially set in America, featuring all new American yokai. Did you say American? I did. That's what they are called. American. <laughs> American yokai. Anyway, that's how I heard it described before I played the game. But, you know, now that I've actually played it, in reality, you aren't technically in the USA. You are in the BBQ. Hmm. <laughs> and it is very much a parody of the U.S. where everyone talks with an extreme southern drawl. And there are, indeed, unique yokai, like a bacon yokai. <laughs> All right. So it's kind of hard to tell, are you really supposed to be in a version of the USA, or is it just supposed to be Texas? I don't really know, but it definitely is a big change from before. <laughs> well, you're kind of selling it to me now. Now, you don't spend your entire time in BBQ. <laughs> the story is split between two characters. There's the male protagonist who just moved to BBQ with his family, and then there's the female protagonist who is in the original setting of Springdale, which, believe it or not, Springdale is basically Tokyo. I think it was called something like Sakura Town in the Japanese version, but, you know, they localized it, and they probably didn't realize there was going to be a specifically American setting in the future to contrast with Springdale. <laughs> so, yeah, Springdale is the Japanese town. <laughs> anyway, you get these two separate stories with the two characters, but then they do cross over once in a while, and uh, it's sort of interesting the way it works out. Early on, I was mostly playing as the girl because she actually has this plot line where she's trying to help some yokai build a rocket and go to space and meet up with his former human professor friend. <laughs> and so I found that 
somewhat interesting, and I also found her kind of relatable, as in she is an otaku whose first goal is to get this new limited edition action figure, and she goes to this big anime store, which was a lot like the ones I visited in Japan, and there was even, as best I could tell, a table display full of amiibo. <laughs> and then... You start hearing the yokai like talking to her and starts singing, buy it, buy it, <laughs> buy it right now, which is basically like what happens to me every day. So. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, did like someone have a camera following you around? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But the boy, on the other hand, you know, his story is basically, oh, I'm in this new country. Let's just do whatever and explore. But regardless of that, at some point in the girl's story, you know, you kind of get stuck in progression. You can't move on any further. So you have to go swap over to the boy's story, which you can do pretty much any time at a save point. And so you place him a little bit. And then eventually, as you progress his story, one of his yokai ends up posting something to a message board online. And then the girl sees it. And that's like the hint she needs to continue her story. So the way they do this back and forth thing like that is kind of cool. That is cool. And I also like how different the two areas are. Like, the Japanese area really does feel like Japan, and the American part does feel a lot like America as far as buildings and design to architecture goes. Like, there is a distinct difference in real life when you think about it, about the interiors of an American and Japanese convenience store, and they just totally nailed it. How so? I mean, I don't know if it's anything I can really put into words, but just the way that things are arranged and the way that products look on the shelf... You know, it's just sort of a very subtle little touch, and they just managed to get those details spot on, which, again, you know, is just really cool. And that kind of brings me to the next cool thing, which is just tons of visual details everywhere. The environments themselves are pretty massive, and they are loaded with places to explore. There are a ridiculous number of NPCs. Like, you were saying how there were hardly any NPCs in that Pokemon trailer, and along those same lines, there are a lot of modern RPGs where the NPCs are just kind of there, you can't interact with them, they just walk past. But I think in this game, you could interact with every single NPC. And so beyond having just, you know, this vast environment, tons of stuff to do, I would say these are some of the most detailed visuals on 3DS. The houses even have bathrooms. Like, I can barely remember the last time an RPG had bathrooms in. I mean, maybe the previous Yokai Watch games did too, I don't remember. But there are actually bathrooms, which, you know, is always an overlooked detail. Yeah, even in Chrono Trigger. <laughs> That's right. I remember there were a few toilets in, like, Final Fantasy VI and VII, but you know, usually that gets left out. Yeah, no and you can actually use the toilets, too, or at least you can sit on them. But yeah, the game looks great. It is in stereoscopic 3D, which might be the last time we see stereoscopic 3D put to good use on this system. So if you are a fan of 3D, that's definitely something to keep in mind. Ah, oh, cool. Then, you know, this is an RPG, so the combat is important as well. Like the past Yokai Watch games, a lot of the fighting is sort of automatic. Like, your Yokai will do standard attacks and blocking and a lot of that stuff sort of automatically, and you basically play mini-games to execute their special moves and cure status effects, and you can also use items as well. But this time, you also have this grid you can use to move around the positions of your characters. And, you know, I found it was kind of ineffective a lot of the time because you can't move around the characters while you're engaged in a mini-game. And so it's like, okay, I'm doing all these mini-games, I can't really move them. <laughs> but when the boss fights rolled around, I found that that technique was fairly critical and was also very useful because you have to dodge their super powerful attacks. Hmm. 
Then on top of all that, the game just has a lot of other bells and whistles. There's an eating mini game. Like one of the first things you do in the game is play an eating mini game before <laughs> you, you know, ever do any exploring or fighting. Just have a mini game where you're snarfing down food. There's a lock picking mini game, a fishing mini game, a bug catching mini game, all kinds of secret bonus areas. And although I haven't quite got there yet, there's apparently like this whole gameplay mechanic where zombies attack the BBQ area, you know, in the middle of the night. <laughs> and uh, that sounds very bizarre and interesting as well. <laughs> awesome. Now, you know, is this game for everybody? Absolutely not. It is aimed very young, and obviously it is on 3DS. But, you know, if you love your 3DS and you want to play something like that, want something that takes advantage of all the system's features, heck, it even still uses play coins, you know, this is definitely a good way to get some mileage out of that system before it goes the way of the dodo. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, probably the biggest knock against the game is just, you know, there are so many other great games coming out around this time on newer, fancier hardware. So it might be hard to pull yourself away from that. might be hard to spend some time with a game that is so uh, silly and goofy. But uh, yeah, I think that if you're into that sort of thing, you'll find a lot to enjoy here. Sounds like it would be one to pick up if you still play your 3DS. Very possibly. The game is just very, very robust and the production values are through the roof. Okay, cool. Thanks for filling us in. Sure thing. And that takes care of all the impressions I have for this week. Pete, you haven't played anything new that you want to share, do you? Uh, you put me on the spot. I mean, I did beat Wargroove, but oh, nice. even though I beat it, I got a lot more uh, to complete. Aha, I see, I see. I guess that wraps up this portion of the podcast then, so let us take an intermission. Hey, let me stop you right there, buddy. Oh, why is that? You got something to talk about after all? I do indeed. Oh, what would that be? Well, it's time to hassle the Hoff. Oh, of course it is. All right, then. What do you have for me this week? All right. Video game professor Hoffman. Yes? If you could wear a Reggie costume for one activity, what would it be? For one activity? Like, what kind of activity? What are you talking about? Well, I say activity because I, I, you can only use it for, like, one instance. Like, you can't, like... You know, spend a week parading in the Reggie costume. You have to, like, do one thing with it. Like, you help an old lady across the street, or, you know, play Mega Man to completion, or, I don't know, throw money out of a taxi cab as you're driving through New York City. So when it comes to this costume, is this, like, a really good-looking costume, or am I going to look like some sort of schmuck, like I'm just the <laughs> Reggie puppet from those E3 Directs and stuff? <laughs> no, I mean, you would basically be wearing a... Reggie Flesh costume that has his sound and his stature and no one would be able to tell that it was not Reggie. Okay, okay. Even his own wife would be like, oh, hey Reggie. Well, don't worry, I'm not going to try messing with her. <laughs> That's a good idea. So, basically, I'm a Reggie impersonator. Like, could I go into the office and do things? Could I go in there and order everybody to drop what they're doing and immediately bring out a port of Mother 3 on Switch? Because that's what I'd like to do if I pretend to be Reggie. Does that one count? That absolutely counts. You just, you'd have to, you know, pretend like you're him. Okay, because it would either be that or uh, climb up to the top of the Empire State Building and uh, hang off the ledge and just sort of act like Donkey Kong. <laughs> wow. Wow, that paints a visual. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm going, I'm officially going with Mother 3. It's got to be done. Someone's got to do it. He won't do it himself. Sure, I'll, I'll dress up and do it. It's kind of funny to imagine that. Like, like if you could be Reggie for 24 hours, do you think you could make Mother 3 happen? 
<laughs> like, does he have that ability? I'd like to think he does. Hopefully. Wow. Well, I appreciate your answer. Sure thing. Okay. With that dealt with, we will take our intermission after all, and then we come back, we will have this week's big topic, where we will be talking about Reggie even more, that being focusing on our favorite Reggie moments and memories. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is our favorite Reggie moments and memories. Obviously, it was just about a week or so ago that Reggie fils Nintendo's president, announced his retirement, which will take place this coming April. Yeah, after being at Nintendo for more than 15 years, Reggie is finally making an exit. Yeah, I, I've got to admit, this was kind of a shock to me. I don't know. Did you see this coming? No, I definitely didn't. I thought he was still going to be around for several more years. So this is kind of a surprise. But hey, he's done a lot of good for Nintendo in his tenure there. So if he wants to have a sort of early retirement and enjoy that time with his family, you know, more power to him. I do not blame him for wanting to relax a bit. Yeah, maybe he just has more uh, ass to kick and names to take. <laughs> perhaps so, perhaps so. Or maybe he really is just going to chill out. <laughs> but yeah, Reggie has been a fixture of Nintendo for quite a while he started there back in December of 2003, and then it was just a few months later at E3 2004 where he made his famous public debut with I'm about kicking ass, I'm about taking names, and we're about making games. <laughs> and publicly, you know, his persona was very, very bombastic and over the top, and it was just very different from previous Nintendo of America leadership, which really didn't have that much of a stage presence, you know? Yeah, you're right. I mean, Nintendo really, at that point, when they got Reggie in the sales and marketing role, mm -hmm. they hadn't really had somebody with his kind of persona. That's right. Yeah, it was a very big change of pace and you know, probably a very welcome change of pace because at that time, Nintendo was sort of, you know, the quiet one. They were sort of just unassuming and doing their own Nintendo thing while you know PlayStation Xbox were kind of running rampant over the video game world. Yeah, it kind of felt like Microsoft and Sony were trying to steal Nintendo's milk money, and uh, <laughs> they were just kind of getting bullied. So, yeah, at that moment, having Reggie kind of step in and be this, like, kind of commanding force, I think it actually, like, made a lot of Nintendo gamers happy. It was like, hey, we have, like, a guy who speaks for us. It feels kind of genuine, mm -hmm. and it even got more genuine over time. But, yeah, it was just kind of a refreshing breath of fresh air. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a good change of pace. You were not having Nintendo executives come out before and talk about kicking ass prior to this. So, <laughs> yeah, it was really what it needed at the time. And when that happened, I mean, I was totally all aboard the Reggie train. I mean, this was before my time at Nintendo. It was before I was at Nintendo Power. 
And I remember him coming out and seeing him at E3, and my thought was like, wow, this dude is a freaking character. <laughs> so I was, you know, very much captivated with his persona, just like so many other people were. But it really wasn't until early 2005 where I had my first interaction with him where I did this massive interview in Play Magazine. It was just this, you know, lengthy, giant, multi-page interview. And in addition to talking to him about Nintendo and, you know, asking things like, you know, is Nintendo being complacent in the handheld market and stuff like that? I mean, I can't imagine ever asking that to his face. (laughs) (laughs) Not in living. Nonetheless, it happened. But in addition to that sort of thing, I like interspersed Reggie facts throughout the article. Like I talked about some of his, you know, pre-Nintendo achievements, like you know that he worked on the Bigfoot Pizza for Pizza <laughs> Hut. And another Reggie fact was how to pronounce his last name right. and stuff like that. So it was about Nintendo, but it was also just you know focusing on Reggie. And you know that was how I was introduced to him. You know, I was an outsider at the time, but you were probably already at Nintendo back in 2003, right? Yeah, that's right. I remember watching E3 in a conference room, not really knowing what to expect because uh, even when you work at Nintendo a lot of times new information is brand new to the people that work there mm-hmm. yeah I just remember hearing the kick-ass line <laughs> and then you know me and some co-workers definitely like losing our minds that this guy <laughs> just said that and uh, but did you already know him at that point I mean were you in the marketing group was he already your boss at that point in time or was he just some like who is this guy I didn't even know he worked here I truly didn't even know who he was I'd heard the name never had seen him and had just kind of you know only heard of him so what were your first interactions with him like when did that start to happen and you know do you have any personal one-on-one Reggie stories to share yeah I never really got a chance to talk to him too much early on I will say, you know, as you know, I moved to the New York office and worked right, for right. Nintendo here. It was a lot different than um, being in meetings in, in Redmond where you'd be in a room with, you know, hundreds of other people. Yes. In the New York office, there was like, you know, 30 or 40 of us. So it was definitely a different interaction. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of nice, you know. It, was, it felt a little more personal. You're not watching like a monitor or like via live stream or something. He's, you know, right in the room with you. Mm-hmm. Very true. The other thing I will say is that he ordered a lot of pizzas, and he would always leave <laughs> pizza for everyone. So that was a nice benefit of having Reggie in the office. Wow. Never give up that love for pizza, huh? Yeah, although it wasn't a big New Yorker or Bigfoot or anything <laughs> like that. Oh, well. We'll take what you can get, I suppose. Anyway, working with him one-on-one or conducting interviews or something like that, that was one thing. But... His public persona, the way he presented himself to the world, I mean, that was something else. And a lot of that is what his reputation was built on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he really did sort of establish himself as part of the Nintendo brand. (laughs) Yeah, yep. And obviously that did start with what we already talked about, the kicking ass stuff. (laughs) But then there were plenty of other moments throughout the years. Obviously, another one of the biggest ones would be at E3 2007, where he proclaimed, my body is ready. We can never (laughs) forget that one. Yeah, absolutely. That became an internet meme overnight. It did. And it's even worked its way into like plenty of Nintendo games. I mean, probably non-Nintendo games too, but (laughs) it's actually written there in dialogue in uh, Nintendo games because of that. That's right. Another one was, I think it was a video in 2014 where he plays the role of Robo Reggie. (laughs) Right. And, you know, he's walking around doing goofy stuff in Nintendo headquarters. 
And, uh, you know, I think that's when he shot out eyeball lasers and uh, destroyed some of the other uh, Nintendo employees. <laughs> yeah. Um, and wasn't the, the gentleman from Mega 64, like, controlling him or something? <laughs> it really, yeah, I think that was a Mega 64 video. Mm-hmm. Really interesting crossover there. Uh, the weird thing about that, though, is that, you know, what most people don't know is that in real life, Reggie actually could shoot lasers out of his eyeballs. So, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah was very interesting they revealed that there where do you think he got the uh, name reginator that's what he does he reginates people <laughs> you've been reginated are there any more you know public moments like that that stand out to you in particular i do remember uh you know seeing sort of some of the console launches in new york and just kind of seeing his interaction with fans and uh i was always impressed by the way he kind of you know took time to talk to people and you know shake the first person's hand and kind of have like a photo op with them and and genuinely seem like he was interested in the moment and not just, you know, hey, I'm here for the picture, now I'm out. Well, sure, there's that. But I mean, I'm talking about when we had like Puppet Reggie at E3 2015. <laughs> you know, he turns into a Star Fox character, his puppet does. And you know, that was all Reggie's voice and stuff. It wasn't real Reggie, but, you know, again, playing up the goofiness factor. You know, don't forget... His Reggie workout video for the Nintendo World Championships. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. I mean, I think I still have nightmares about him, like, stuffing bananas in his mouth. <laughs> My favorite part is where he's on the power pad, and he, like, gets down and just starts hitting it with his hand. <laughs> and then somebody comes in and catches him. <laughs> Which is something that people really would do in real life, mm, too. I've absolutely done that. <laughs> that was a fun inside joke. But I think you're right. I mean, there was this tone of, like, he didn't take himself too seriously, even though he's kind of this, like, you know hulking man it was like nice to still have him be able to like poke fun at himself yeah he was definitely very goofy in all these videos uh, let's not forget the yokai watch one where he does like this crazy goofy reggie dance <laughs> and i was talking about yokai watch three a little bit ago i mean as goofy as that game is i don't even think it comes close to the reggie dance <laughs> yeah you're probably right i think one of the things that stand out in my mind most was that you know, he was always on these uh, Jimmy Fallon episodes. Oh, that's right. When Jimmy Fallon was doing Late Late Night, not The Late Show, he was on a lot. And then it kind of got reduced after Jimmy Fallon made it a little bigger and, you know, probably had to cater to a more primetime audience. But he still had him on. And that was pretty impressive. And mm-hmm. I always was impressed with how he was able to kind of, you know, I can't imagine a lot of presidents of companies going into Jimmy Fallon and like it actually being entertaining. Now, of course, he got the advantage of being able to sell a Nintendo product, which is enter- yeah, that certainly helped. entertaining in general. But a lot of people would have just had like, you know, George Clooney go and do it or something. <laughs> like, That's true, yeah. Like just have like some other celebrity come in. And, and actually, I think uh, Reggie really kind of made a name for himself, even with people who maybe didn't know who he was. Yeah, that's a very good point. But the interactions with Jimmy Fallon were always hilarious. I thought there was one where Jimmy kept trying to, like, climb on his back. (laughs) You could tell he was a little annoyed by that. But in general, all really funny. Well, let me tell you, if you're going to try to jump on Reggie's back, you should definitely do it with cameras rolling. Because, you know, try that stuff in private. He will probably suplex you out the window. (laughs) Or the laser beams. Oh, yeah, that too. But, you know, I guess that sort of brings me around to, you know, my real life impressions of reggie they just sort of seemed very different from his public persona which was so often you know just goofy and super outlandish but in real life you know i didn't really you know see him like that when i worked underneath him or when he'd come by the office or whatever he was actually usually 
very, very serious. I mean, even before I started there, and I remember when I was doing my article in play, I was told by you know, some other Nintendo employees, oh, you know, he's not quite as uh, fun a character as he comes <laughs> across in these E3 presentations. And that was, you know, sort of true. He was always, you know, pretty serious and, you know, seemed very occupied with his work and, uh, you know, was busy a lot of the time, you know, possibly too busy. And uh, it didn't seem like that behind the scenes, he would let his hair down that much, so to speak, at least while I was there. If anything, it seemed like he just had a lot on his mind and just needed to get it done. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I definitely think he had a good business sense. And I think to that point, he definitely was always thinking about stuff. And you could kind of get that feeling from him. He never really got like a lot of jokes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, once the camera was rolling, he definitely (laughs) would lighten up and uh, there'd be humor abound. Right. And that's one of the things that was impressive about him, that he was able to sort of just turn that on and off like a switch. Yeah, totally. Like a Nintendo switch. Uh, (laughs) You could say that. (laughs) Sorry, I had to. Okay. In actuality, I mean, it was a little bit intimidating to be in the room with Reggie. I know that sounds funny, but it's like, he, you know, he's... he's, No, that often felt that way to me as well. He's not a small guy. No, he had a big presence. He's very serious. He wasn't, you know, super goofy. And yeah, yeah, you feel like you can't really just like come in there cracking jokes. So I think that almost made some of the things that he did on camera so much better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, one time early on, I suggested to him that they rename Big Brain Academy for Wii, Big Wii Academy, he was not amused. He was not amused at all. (laughs) Well, that's just inappropriate. (laughs) Damn it, I still think they should have done it. (laughs) But, you know, another thing that I liked about Reggie is that he really was a Nintendo fan. I mean, given his past, given that he had been a corporate businessman Mm -hmm. at VH1 and Pizza Hut, you know, I thought, okay, now he's just moving along to his next thing. He's moving along to Nintendo and he'll do that for a couple of years, and then he'll move along to something else. But I was very, very wrong. I was totally wrong about that. You know, he was there through the good times with Wii and DS. And I thought, well, you know, once Nintendo starts to lose that momentum, he'll just jump off that boat and go do something else. But that did not happen. And it really impressed me a lot. You know, it said a lot about his character that he decided to stick it out through Wii U. He decided to stick it out even when 3DS was off to a bad start. And, you know, he could have jumped ship and probably gone anywhere he wanted to after taking Nintendo you know, up to those highs, but he didn't. He stuck around and he guided Nintendo of America through some really rough times and proved he really cared about the company and the products they made. You're right. You know, it's interesting because he actually, you know, he started as a head of sales and marketing. That's right. And then sort of surprisingly out of nowhere became the president. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think some of that is attributed to the fact that he did stay. Like, I I actually think that there was a little bit of a, you know, hey, we're going to give you this and you're going to see us through troubled waters. I can't remember the exact timing on that, but... Now, he was made president just before the Wii era. He'd actually okay. only been there a couple of years as the vice president of sales and marketing before he got the promotion. Right. But still, it, you know, just an interesting thing for that to happen. I mean, that was, at the time, that was unprecedented that he became president, <laughs> no pun intended, in that way. Like, up to that point, it had only been a role that, um, you know, Japanese businessmen that were related to Mr. Yamauchi were filling that position. Yeah, so, you know, he obviously really impressed somebody, that's for sure. 
He did, but as to your point, I mean, there was a feeling that maybe he would just move on, but the fact that he didn't is really impressive. And I think, you know, to your gamer point, I remember stories of, you know, him playing Dragon Quest on 3DS and, like, you know, having, like, 50-plus hours involved in it. And, <laughs> and, like, he seemed to really get into the gaming thing, and I was impressed that he actually rose to the occasion on that. Now, as much as I appreciate his business sense, as much as I was entertained by his antics, as much as I appreciated the way that he was able to handle Nintendo through all those years, you know, there is always a part of me that, you know, I sort of have this little bit of personal beef with Reggie, of course. <laughs> uh, and that's fair, I believe, uh, you know, it affected your life. Yeah, that does tie into something we actually talked about last week on the show, and I guess the week before a little bit. But yeah, I mean, we all remember on the Nintendo Direct in 2015 when Reggie just ups and fires Bill Trennan. <laughs> and while that's not exactly what happened to me, he did sort of publicly fire all of Nintendo Power for real back in 2007. <laughs> and, you know, for those who are unaware, there was this big meeting that announced a restructuring of the marketing group. And the marketing group was going to be split up and moved out of Redmond. And the online group was going to New York. The rest was going to California. But the good news, he said, the good news is that no one will be losing their jobs. Everyone will be offered the chance to relocate and stay with Nintendo. And then he's like, oh, oh, but, you know, there's just one little thing, just one little exception. Nintendo Power will be redundant. And because of that, we're outsourcing it. And so you're all fine. <laughs> No, it wasn't quite that bad. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but he really did say, yeah, there's just one little caveat. It's Nintendo Power, and they're going away. And that's how we all found out, and just sort of does it in front of everyone, like hundreds of people here in the marketing group. And I mean, a business decision is one thing, but darn it, he really should have just given Nintendo Power its own meeting to tell us the bad news in advance in private instead of doing it in front of all these people. It's like, you know, in WWE when Vince freaking McMahon comes out and is like, you're fired, <laughs> except in that case it's just fake, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just wish that had gone down a little bit differently. Of course, you, you were one of the lucky ones. You were not laid off there. They actually kept you on and uh, moved you to New York. Uh, me, I was lucky enough that, uh, you know, the new Nintendo Power picked me up and I got to continue on with that. But uh, still, I just wish that had been handled a little bit differently. That is my one big beef. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely understand that. And, you know, I think you and I both have different perspectives on that. But uh, I can agree with <laughs> yeah. you. I definitely think there were ways that could have been handled better. I don't solely blame the Reginator, but I could see that. Anyway, moving on from that, are there any other uh, stories or encounters or things you would like to share? So I actually did have the pleasure of running into Reggie uh, not too terribly long ago at the Switch launch. Oh, yeah? Here in uh, New York City, yeah. Uh -huh. And of course, you were no longer at Nintendo at that time. You're right. I was not with the company. And this was about a month before the Switch was about, you know, in the stores. I think it was, you know, it was cold. It was like early February in New York. Okay. So about two years ago. Yeah. And I actually, the night before I was going to the show, I met up with some friends and I was hanging out in the hotel lobby in New York City. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing a lot of famous Nintendo faces. I'm uh -huh. seeing Miyamoto. I'm right seeing on. Aonuma. I'm seeing Bill Trinan. I'm seeing... All sorts of folks. Anyways, sure enough, I see Reggie, and I was trying to like act like I'm, I, 
I wasn't sure what to do because I'm like in the corner kind of like lurking, just waiting for some friends to show <laughs> up. And, you know, these guys are walking around and some of them know me, but then I'm not sure how well they know me. So I don't really want to like, you know, hey, Reggie, what up? You know, so does the story end with him kicking your ass or taking your name? <laughs> no, no. But so I was standing there and all of a sudden I heard Pete is that you? And I like look over and sure enough, Reggie was asking for me by name. And to be totally truthful, I didn't. So he had taken your name <laughs> somewhere along the line. Yeah. And you know what's coming next. <laughs> no, but honestly, I just, it was impressive to me because I truly didn't think that he knew my name. Mm-hmm. And you know, it wasn't like we interacted a ton and I hadn't worked there in five, six years at that point. So I was a little bit flattered that he remembered my name. We actually had a little bit of a conversation. You know, I congratulated him on um, all the successful stuff that they'd been doing for Switch. And I was like telling him I was pretty excited to buy one because, you know, I was. Well, yeah. So it was just just a nice little back and forth. And, uh, you know, that's the probably the memory I will take with me the longest after his departure. Yeah, that was nice of him to do that. He certainly didn't need to, but uh, that was cool that he did. No, and then I got to explain why I was lurking in the corner. So, <laughs> Okay. That was nice. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I obviously had many interactions with him after I left Nintendo proper. Um, nothing quite like that, but I would see him from time to time. You know, he was very hands-on. He, you know, would come by the offices where we were doing Nintendo Power, and apparently he was there for, you know, some other meeting or something, but he actually came by and personally inspected our security setup to make sure that, you know, we had the proper locks on our doors and everything <laughs> so that no one could come in and steal Nintendo secrets. Did he test them with his uh, laser beam eyes? Or? I think he did. I do believe that's what happened, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, blasted it, made sure the deflector shields were up to code. (laughs) That's kind of amazing. Now, one of the indirect interactions we had at NP was in 2010 when we were doing this Decade in Review article. And we wanted to include the whole kicking ass, taking names thing as the quote of the decade, but we were forced to cut it. We were told Reggie did not want to perpetuate that persona anymore, and so it had to go. And that was really too bad. But on the other hand, throughout the years... I mean, even, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, I would go to E3 and I would usually be able to uh, finagle my way into that sort of VIP area. You know, they usually have sort of a second floor that's, uh, you know, for the press and stuff. You could go up there and check out all their games at your leisure instead of waiting in these gigantic, ridiculous lines. Hmm. And a lot of times I'd be up there and Reggie would come by and, you know, he never actually would, you know, greet me by name. I don't think he ever took my name. He just kicked my ass. But, you know, I always... I'm thankful that he was not like, oh, it's that guy. And it just pitched me over the side and into the, the crowd down below. So that was always, you know, very nice of him, I thought. <laughs> For not just throwing you off a balcony. Yeah, I thought he would like literally throw me out, but he didn't. He was very polite. <laughs> and, you know, he would at least say hi, even if he didn't say it by name. I wish he'd be like you again and just like pick you up by the <laughs> scruff of your neck. And... That's what I was imagining would happen, you know, but uh, <laughs> he did not. And uh, for that, I'm quite appreciative. Toss you into a dumpster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So while my uh, memories of Reggie are, you know, sort of all over the place, there are some highs, there are definitely some lows, I can certainly say that uh, without a doubt, he is a good guy. Yeah, and um, I'll go a step further and say I think he will be missed. Who knows what the future holds, but I'm always going to have a little bit of a soft spot for him. Yeah, I'm sure I will as well. However, you know, when you talk about the future, we do have to talk about his replacement, who is 
King Bowser himself, <laughs> or rather, sorry, Doug Bowser, who, like Reggie, was vice president of marketing, and now he's going to be the head of NOA. Yeah, you almost couldn't make that up, right? Yeah, it is great. And I mean, he's been on board at Nintendo for a few years now. So all of the Bowser jokes, I feel like they were already played out. Right. They've been done already. Um, that's not going to stop us from doing more of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he is now taking over and, you know, all the Koopalings are going to be the executive vice presidents, I guess. Ha ha ha. <laughs> I mean, I'm always going to laugh at that. So, But anyway, I mean, he's certainly not going to have the big personality that reggie does but from what i've heard he's a really good guy he's great to work under and while he might not you know kick ass or take names i think that nintendo is going to be in a really good place because of him reggie has you know set things up really well and i have every expectation that bowser will continue it yeah i feel the same way i think if anything it's kind of interesting that you know now that reggie kind of set the trend they're kind of pulling from the sales and marketing pool to replace the president. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's going to continue as things move forward. Well, we probably won't know about that for a long, long time. I guess we just have to watch out that, you know, some plumber doesn't come out and stomp him into oblivion, and that would you know end his reign really quick, wouldn't it? <laughs> it really would. Well, well, we'll just have to see. All hail King Bowser. Anyway, I guess everyone should just... Pour out a cold one, a nice glass of milk for Reggie when he ends his tenure in April. I think it's safe to say there will not be another one like him. Yeah, I can agree with you on that. And I think that does it for this week's big topic. So I think it's time to wrap up this week's episode of the show. However, before we go, we do indeed have time for one more thing. And as you might have guessed, that is a dramatic reading. Oh man, I was hoping you'd say that. This time... It is from the Nintendo Switch eShop description of the game Akihabara Crash 123 Stage Plus One. Common Sense Crashes, evolutionary system of breakout. It is not only to destroy the block. This is evolutionary system of breakout. Various items come out item box. Bomb block, which can destroy a certain range of blocks. Gravity block, in which the trajectory of the ball changes. Slide block, which slips in the direction of inclination when tilting the controller. In addition to gimmicks, in this work. Bomb block, all, that can destroy all blocks. Direction block, in which the trajectory of the ball changes in the direction of the arrow. A new gimmick that appeared. <laughs> there are photo many gimmicks not described here. Wow. Made and cosplayer appeared many times. <laughs> Cosplayers who have appeared in maids playing in Akihabara and events in various places are on sale this time. <laughs> that number, 29 people in total. Collect points that you can earn each time you clear. Get steals and movies of cosplayers and maids. You can set the photos you've acquired as backgrounds during the game. You can enjoy the game with your favorite maid, cosplayer background. The number of stages is 123 stages plus one. Prepare a wide range of difficulty. All made, 29 planes, which divided the area for each cosplayer. Prepared 123 stages for the number of stages. We have prepared several levels of difficulty and you can choose your favorite aspect from the beginning. You can enjoy a wide range of stages, from stage that you can enjoy, even beginners to high difficulty stage, 
where expert players can hold sweat. <laughs> In addition to the normal stage that destroys all the blocks, there are stages to destroy blocks coming from above, and stages where the boss appears and knocks down. Implement the option that can change the speed of the ball and the approaching block. The ball is fast and the game will over soon. The falling block is fast and cannot be broken. Even those who feel safe, it is possible to change the speed of a ball or a falling block. Vice versa. It is unsatisfactory at normal speed. You can also speed up the ball. It is safe even on a difficult stage. Items that support play appear. For those who cannot clear this stage absolutely, as a new element, it is possible to use all four types of support items before the stage selection. Support items can be earned by earning points, as well as photos and movies. As the number is limited, let's use it on the first stage here. What? That didn't make sense. I know. Like, like almost none of that. No, that that is a bunch of nonsense. This is basically, you know, just uh, you know, it's breakout, it's alleyway, it's just one of those right. blockbusting games. And I had, woo. I had to read through the code to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the longest descriptions yet somehow manages to say almost nothing. Yeah, it reminds me of the Billy Madison. I can award you no points and make God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> anyway, I don't really think there's anything else I can add to that description that it doesn't already, you know, make plainly clear on its own. <laughs> you know, I almost feel bad about that one. Like, it feels like you're kind of kicking the kid in the corner while he's, like, down. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, who knows? Maybe it's great. I don't know. It could be fantastic. Right. I mean, Never you know. can have your favorite maid. <laughs> That's right. Your favorite cosplay made from some shady corner of Akihabara. <laughs> wow. Anyway, that definitely does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, the Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff, and you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad and Xenoblade Chronicles Riki Sleepy Sleepy Bedtime We will see you next time